0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, evidence informed, practical based. This is season two, episode number nine. And today we're diving into the practical side of things, more specifically, strongman training and competing to be the world strongman champion with Canada's strongest man in the 80 kilogram weight class Mr. Dane Wallace is on the show today. In this episode Dane's going to talk about how he prepares for strongman competition and how his prep has changed over the years, the importance of technical proficiency in so many of the key lifts, how he prepares his hypertrophy phases and how he plans out his nutrition to maximize recovery and adaptation, Dane also discusses the importance of tactical aspects during competition as well as the huge role of psychology uh, in successful athletes. Of course, he also highlights some crossover for personal trainers and recreational athletes listening in, how you can apply some of the concepts and principles of strongman training to your regime to boost strength and fitness. Great stuff here from Dane, a ton of practical application, things that you can implement right away with your clients. Um, If you enjoyed this episode and you're interested more on the performance side of things, then please circle back to season one, episode number six, with Nancy Guest on caffeine and performance, more specifically the genetic side of things, as well as episode number 12 from season one with Dr. Ben House, who gives us the real ins and outs of testosterone levels for performance as well as health. Of course, you can check out drbubscom forward slash podcast for all the links discussed in this episode, as well as my layups, those simple, actionable tips. Okay, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement, no sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest deep ocean mineral water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. Totem Sport is highly bioavailable and has been shown in research to enhance stamina by stabilizing blood glucose levels during exercise as well as strengthening immunity by buffering exercise-induced reductions in key immune markers. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as an optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. All right, let's get things rolling. Season 2, episode number 9 on strongman training and nutrition strategies with Canadian strongman champ, Dane Wallace. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Dane Wallace, nutrition and strength coach from Toronto, fellow instructor of the DTS Fitness Education Nutrition Fundamentals course, and currently Canada's strongest man in the 80-kilogram weight class, Mr. Dane Wallace. Thank you so much for taking the time today, buddy.
1: Hey, Mark. Uh, Good to chat with you.
0: Well, listen, I want to dive right into things here. We are only weeks away from you competing at another international amateur strongman world championships coming up the Arnold Classic. So it would be great to talk a little bit about your preparation for this kind of event. How far out in advance do you start to get ready for a competition like this?
1: Uh, well, this year, my prep for this started only basically January 1st. Um, so basically had a couple months to prep for this one. In years past... Um, I've done about a four month block typically to train for this. Um, the Arnold classic, is always the first weekend of March. Um, so every year that's when the world championship is for our sport. Um, now this year there was, uh, another very high level, um, competition in North Carolina on December 16th, 17th. For a weight class that a lot of people uh, competed in and so a lot of us were prepping for that and so I just I prepped for that one and then uh, you know took a little break over the holidays and so I've had about a two-month prep for this one so it's a little bit more intensive but it's gone uh, gone incredibly well so
0: awesome man. well maybe we can start with looking at what a normal periodization looks like so if you're doing a four-month prep for something like this what would that kind of look like in terms of how you break down your training
1: uh again it, it, it differs a little bit sometimes. So a, a lot of the time I'm usually one of the smaller athletes who competes even within my weight class. Um so I compete in the 80 kilo weight class, but a lot of the athletes walk around, you know, over 85 kilos. Um and then, you know, do a weight cut. I walk around under 80 kilos myself. Um I used to be a bit bigger, but uh, you know, you get a little bit older and it's harder to keep that weight on. So uh It's full-time uh, job so, eating, right? <laughs> exactly, full-time job eating. So Um, sometimes usually the first part of the prep would be a lot of volume, some hypertrophy work, trying to add on some, some mass, and then, uh, just going through the prep there, slowly start to work in, you know, more strength work. And then as the competition grows closer, some more sports specific prep for the actual events themselves. So over a four month block, it's usually kind of, you know, volume into strength, into actual sports specific and conditioning, um, with the two months, prep for this one uh it was a little bit different i i did not put much emphasis at all on uh hypertrophy work it was really just kind of dive in get strong get good at the events and just be ready
0: (laughs) awesome and you know for people listening in who maybe aren't as familiar for some of the events can you walk people through the different types of uh movements and events that you'll go through for the competition
1: yeah, of course. So uh every competition that you do in strongman, you're you're going to come across different events. So that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the sport of strongman, uh, is that you don't really know what you're getting into until, you know, a few months out they'll they'll announce the events. Um so you know, as whereas, you know, powerlifting is you know, you squat, you deadlift, you bench. You know exactly what's going on, you can really be very specific in your training, whereas for strongman you know you're going to have a deadlift event, you know you're going to have some sort of pressing event, Um, and then you know you're going to have to carry a lot of weight around in some way, shape, or form. So there's specific categories that things fall into, but they're always different. Now for this upcoming one at the Arnold, um, this is actually uh, – it's a bit of a strange one in terms of how they've laid out the events because there's actually two Atlas Stone events – which is kind of odd. Usually at these high level competitions, you'll see one Atlas stone event, but there's actually a stone over bar for repetitions in 60 seconds um, on one of the days. And then there is a stone run. So there's actually five different stones that get heavier as you go down that you have to load to a platform. Um, So it's very stone centric. (laughs) Um, And then aside from that, there's the only deadlift event that there's in this one is actually a farmer's medley. So it's, Farmers walk 30 feet, then you have to deadlift the farmers three times, then walk another 30 feet, then do another three deadlifts. Uh, so it's a moving event and a deadlift event all in one. Um, there's a circus dumbbell press. So for those who've never seen that, it's think about a dumbbell, but think about a dumbbell that's you know about half the size of the actual competitor. So it's a massive, massive dumbbell that you have to press with one arm over your head um, for reps in a minute. And, uh, then the other event is a Husafelt stone carry. Uh, so for, I think it's 120 feet. And then there's a a sixth event, which is a mystery event that they will announce on Friday of this week.
0: Wow. Now, if we go back to even just the stones in terms of, um, you know, walking people through the different techniques in terms of picking up, you know, heavy weight on a bar is, is totally different from picking up a heavy weight, um, from a stone or, or an object like that. Can you walk people through how the technique would change and then what kind of adjustments you make?
1: Yeah. So stone training is it, it's actually quite te- technical, and that's that's kind of the funny part about strongman too. Is you know when you think strongman, you picture these big guys who are just you know beasts and just pick stuff up and run with it. But if you're not technically proficient at these lifts, like you just you can't lift them because you have to be as efficient as possible. And it's the same deal with a stone. In that when you go to pick up a stone, it's there's Two, basically two different movements, there's lapping the stone, so actually picking it up off the ground and getting it into your lap, and then there's the second component of it, which is kind of almost like cleaning it up and, and putting it up over a bar onto a platform. So um, the first portion of the lift, basically you want to get right over top of the stone, kind of have your legs kind of straddling the stone right in the middle, get your arms down. On the sides of it as far underneath the stone as you can to get as much of your body on the stone, your, your hands and your forearms. And then you just have to squeeze that guy and kind of pick it up. And it's, it's an awkward lift. You know, you're going to see your back is going to be inflection. So, you know, where you see a deadlift and you always want to see a nice flat back, you're never going to see that when you pick up a stone. Um, so it looks bad. But the key is that your back is flexed when you pick it up, and it stays flexed until you get the load onto your knees, and that's when you will extend your back. So you never want to see the back flex or extend during the movement because that is very bad for your discs, um, but you have to pick it up with that flex back, get it onto your knees, and then you will basically sit down into a deep squat, re-grip the stone a little bit higher, and then from there you basically have to extend your hips – and explode up and kind of pick it up and explode the stone from your hips up onto the platform or over the bar.
0: That's a great point with the uh, maintaining a flex spine because it's definitely one of those things that um, you know people hear so often in terms of a deadlift of being in a certain position and it's uh, you know keeping that spine in a fixed position is such a crucial part of it. And as you mentioned, that transition's got to be really key because you got to get your spine into a different position whilst the whilst the load is on the on the knees. There is that is that a tougher transition in terms of. Uh, yeah, lives. I
1: mean the actual and and it's really interesting because some people the hardest part is picking the stone up off the ground but if they get it off the ground they're strong enough to kind of squat it up. You know, whereas some people if, you know, they can get anything off the ground, but it's that that extension at the top that's hard. So everyone has their different strengths. Um, and it's and again it, it it's actually a super super technical movement and the only way you get good at stone is by doing stone. You know, you can You can squat till you're blue in the face, you can do, you know, kettlebell swings, you can do deadlifts, you can do all these different movements, but unless you actually get your hands on a stone, it's really, really tough to get good at that event.
0: Yeah, so key for that specific adaptations there for the implied demands, definitely in some of these events, if you don't do the actual event, it's going to be difficult to get that crossover. Now, you know, for strongman, is there certain, you know, are there certain weaknesses that, that, whether it's for yourself or for competitors that you're trying to uh, to limit when you're going into a competition, does each individual athlete kind of come into it with their own strengths and weaknesses depending on the types of events or, or lifts that need to be done?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's another uh, thing that's really fun about Strongman is that you have some athletes who are just awesome upper body strength like pressers, you know, some guys who are just really good at log press or dumbbell press or any of those lifts but they might not be the strongest deadlifters, you know, and you have some guys who can't press much, but they can deadlift like crazy. So you, there are guys within all the weight classes and you kind of know, it's like, Oh, that guy's a good presser. Oh, that guy, you know, he's a really good deadlifter, but you know, there are weaknesses in some of the other areas. So when you get to a competition kind of at this caliber, you really expect that like all the athletes who have, because to get to this point, you've had to win, you know, at least one or two regional qualifiers, then you had to go to nationals and you had to finish in the top. Well, from Canada, we only get one invite. So you have to win Canadians to get the invite to world. If you're in the U S you have to finish in the top, I think five or six at, uh, at nationals to, to get the invite in. So this is kind of the cream of the crop. It's, it's guys who have, you know, won various events. And as I mentioned before, um, <clears throat> you, you have all these different events. Um, you could have stone at one event, you could have deadlifts on the other event. Like you, it's never the same. So if you've won three events to get to world, you're probably pretty good at you know most things. Um, For you know sure. I know I know where my weaknesses lie, and obviously you're always trying to make your weaknesses better. But if you stop focusing on your strengths, then you're going to lose that advantage too, right? So it's it's always you've always got to be training to stay as strong as possible, and then just putting a little bit more emphasis on those areas where you might not have had so much success in the past.
0: That sort of dovetails into my next question. So you mentioned things like the technique and the technical side of things, and of course, this leads into the tactical side of things of of whether it's the tactics you choose in terms of leading up to the competition or even during competition. You mentioned one of the events. You know, is, is an event that they just spring on you with a week to go? Um, are, there, are there different tactics that you can use during a competition in terms of um, whether it's amongst athletes or just in terms of your own um, mental game or getting yourself ready?
1: Oh, of course. Um, it's when it comes down to like actual game day. So, for example, if we take the Arnold here, this is a competition that is spread out over three days. So there's two events on day one, two events on day two, and two events on day three. Now, to qualify for day three, you have to finish in the top four at the end of day two, okay? So you have four events on day, on day one and day two, and only the top four of cumulative points get to go to day three. Wow! So within those two first days, if you know, for example, that you know, you're not super, super great at a specific event – there is strategy in terms of, you know, where you exert yourself. So some guys, for example, if they know they're not a great deadlifter, but they want to get into like the middle of the pack for points and they know they're not going to get near the top. So for example, let's say the best guy's going to deadlift, you know, let's say 10 reps and you know, you can only get four, but you know, four is going to get you into, you know, fifth or sixth, you just get four. You don't try for five or six and really like blow your back out and go to, go crazy you just take the points you can get and then you save your energy for your stronger event so that you know you can get like first or second on those. So you'll see sometimes in strongman events guys kind of stopping halfway through an event just kind of asking the judge like, OK, how many reps do I have? OK, OK, that's good for fourth. OK, awesome. And then just walk away and then save it up for the next because it, at the end of day two, they take the top four and they actually condense the points to make them closer. So that when you go into day three, it's pretty much anyone's game. So there's definitely strategy that comes into play in these competitions, and you really have to make sure you know what you're capable of and that you don't kind of exceed your capacity if it's not happening.
0: That's really interesting to see that it's a bit of a chess match going on amongst all the you know, the big lifts that are taking place. And you know, we've talked technical and tactical. Now what about on the uh, physical, let's talk nutrition here front, obviously you're, whether it's, if we start maybe with just even the lead up, the periodization leading up to the events, and then we can dive, dive into the fact that you're, competing three days in a row, but what does the nutrition look like for you in terms of the lead up of a competition, whether it's two months or four months?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing for this. it's I just kind of, I've been doing this a long time now and nutrition is, is kind of my wheelhouse. So I know what my body needs. I kind of have my routines. You know, I set up my, my dietary structure so that I know I make sure I get my five meals in every day. I need to get at least 200 grams of protein every day. Sometimes I make sure I get Upwards of 250, 300 grams of protein a day, just depending on you know you know what the specific goal is at the time or what the training cycle looks like. Um, and then at those meals, I know I have to get you know again depending on where I'm at in the cycle. Like I'll have a minimum grams of carbs. I don't actually set a specific. I have to get you know let's say 4,000 calories, but I will say at a very minimum to support my training, I need to hit X, Y, Z in terms of my macros for the day. So like I said, it depends on where I'm at in my training cycle and what I'm doing. But I do, I set kind of rough figures and then divide that out of my five meals. If I have a particularly huge meal at some point, then I know I can kind of take some away from another meal. And I just kind of play it out through the day as I go, because every day is a little bit different for me in terms of my schedule and when I can eat and what food's available. So um, I just kind of set my markers, and then sometimes that does require me at the end of the day to eat like a massive meal just to hit my targets, which isn't super ideal, but it's better than you know not supporting your training and getting weaker and smaller.
0: <laughs> for sure. and that that kind of a uh, couple questions spring to mind when you mentioned that in terms of yeah, nailing down that that ideal carbohydrate load for you to facilitate that high intensity work and and not go from that sort of functional overreaching into the into that non-functional overreaching and starting to see stalls in progress. Is that something that you sort of learned over time in terms of seeing what's in the evidence base, but then also using your experience as a, as an athlete and even a practitioner and figuring out the right the right dose for yourself?
1: Oh, for sure. That's it's been something that I've always been working on, and I, and I'm constantly tweaking it. And that's that's one thing that I've really really learned now. Like that, I'm 34 years old. I've been competing for about a decade now, and it's you know in my 20s you know, I could get away with a lot more, (laughs) um, you know, food quality could be lower. Um, you know, I could eat more sugar. I could do a lot more things and food quality didn't matter so much. Now that I'm you know, into my 30s, I, I know I, I really have to be focused on, you know, food quality and making sure I don't eat, you know, for example, dairy. Like, it's super inflamed if I eat too much dairy or, you know, too much wheat or something like that. So, I really have to like make sure I'm I'm really managing that food quality perspective. And I'm always kind of tweaking it. And this is what I tell people when it comes to nutrition: when you think you have it figured out and you've got the perfect plan. You better stay on your toes because your body is physiologically going to change. Like you can find a sweet spot for a while within your training and nutrition and they'll be synced up, but hey man, if you're in the perfect spot to build mass and you add more mass, you're going to have greater nutrition demands from there so your plan's going to have to change. You know, or if you're going for weight loss for example and you've lost the weight, your your plan has to evolve with your body. So some people get really caught up in thinking that look, like, oh, I've got it dialed in, I've got this, and then things can go to crap if you just start following the plan without listening to what your body's telling you. Um, yeah, it's a that's, great, some, that's a
0: great point, especially that idea of just being so dynamic. It's it's constantly evolving. It's it's this ebb and flow versus oftentimes as, as you know the clients think it's going to be this just this destination that once you get there then <laughs> and then everything's uh, yeah. everything's sorted right
1: you know, well, that's just it. And I, I used to be very, very particular about my carb timing and all sorts of stuff and thought there were these cool tricks that I could do to like trick my body into like, you know, not putting on fat and I don't, just all these sorts of weird tricks. And it's like, at this point, I'm basically, I eat balanced meals. I just make sure I hit my targets at the end of the day. I don't add stress to my life by trying to, you know, overreach and nail certain specific timings and stuff like that. It's just, at this point, it doesn't matter. And the one big thing that I've personally noticed in this training block um, is I have not basically done any back-to-back training days. Um, I basically train, take a day off, train, take it off, train, take a day off, and I keep my nutrition the same every day. save for all my training days, I have an extra shake during my workout. And my this cycle has been incredible in terms of recovery. Um, I feel like in the past, and I think this is something that I I didn't really learn and struggled with last year is I didn't really adjust to the fact that I was getting a little bit older and I thought my body could still handle certain demands and I wasn't, I just wasn't making that adjustment and listening to my body. And so I really did that this cycle and I think it's paid huge dividends in terms of my recovery and strength.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great insight. And just that idea of obviously you've been at this for a while, so with your training age being so high and then. And getting into this idea of, of, of that fine balance between recovery, um, it must be a, a, an eye-opener even for someone with your expertise to, to see that you're making gains with, you know, not quite doing less, but as you mentioned, taking more rest days than maybe you normally would, right?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know what, I'm going to try this because I, I feel like I'm just, it, it's got to be better than this. You know, like there's there's got to be a reason things aren't going the way I expect them to at this point. And I think I might just be overreaching. I might not be recovering well enough. And just kind of giving my body that extra time and taking the stress away from my training cycle where I was trying to cram in so many things and and work on so many different things at once at the gym. And it, it just makes it so much harder to stay on top of everything and just allowing myself to have more rest time. And within that rest time, if I'm not going to the gym as much, it makes it so much easier to really nail my nutrition as well. Because I have more time in the day. <laughs> so it's it's just all those kind of little things really played in. And it's, you know, especially younger athletes think they just have to, you know, just crush it. More is always better. More is always better. And it's it's just kind of getting pumped the brakes and actually listen to your body. Like if you're not feeling recovered, just take the extra day. It's gonna It's going to pay huge dividends. Like you don't get strong in the gym. You get strong when you're outside the gym, sleeping, eating, and recovering. <laughs> so you really have to strike that balance.
0: Yeah, great tip there and definitely one for, you know, especially young coaches that I think are following more like, you know, they'll see a workout plan or something in a in a, in a research study and apply mm-hmm. exactly that that template to the athlete. Whereas, you know, as you're saying here, you've got to then you know, take your own experience, see what your eyes and your ears are telling you and how you're feeling and then and then be adjusting these, you know, the training or the periodization. Because it is, again, like a dynamic thing versus the static, uh, rigid plan that has to be followed to the letter, right?
1: Oh, exactly. And that's one of my biggest beefs with people who consistently quote research. Um, and again, we need research. Research is important. It, it tells us a lot of things. But people fail to take into account like actual context of their lifestyle and the fact that like research is done in a lab. <laughs> and there are other variables that affect things and training volume and other life stress and your sleep and your genetics and all the other things that are playing in. You can't just take – Research and say it's black and white, and that this is the way it has to be done. You know, it's it's just one of my beasts within the industry. A lot of people do that, and it's like, okay, that the research is great for guiding us, and then it, you have to take into consideration how is the body individually reacting to what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love the term evidence informed. To really just you take what's in the evidence base, you apply what you know as a practitioner in your experience, and you know, it sounds like you're doing that to a T. And of course, if we dovetail this now we're talking nutrition what about supplementation when we when we look at something like strongman training building up for a competition like this is there is there a certain regime that you follow typically has that changed at all with this uh, prep for this competition uh
1: my big one for this is <clears throat> again I'm, I'm not a big supplements guy um you know when i was again in my 20s younger really getting into nutrition and strongman and all these kind of things i mean i dabbled with like, whatever supplement was on sale, like, yeah, let's try that. Let's see what it does. You know, does it do anything? Does it give me an edge? Like, you know, just try all these, you know, pre-workouts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I take whey protein every day to make sure I hit my protein. You know, I, I take creatine because it's proven, <laughs> you know. Um, sure. There's not many supplements out there like creatine that actually show, like, it's not going to hurt you and it's only going to benefit you. So it's, like, those things I definitely have in my diet every single day. Aside from those things, um, again, like my intra workout shake is just whey protein and juice crystals. Like it's just sugar and protein. Um and creatine, sorry. And then other than that, I mean, it's winter time in Canada, so I take vitamin D. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, always I'm, a good strategy in yeah, <laughs> north not, of the 49th parallel. Okay.
1: Exactly. Not getting that anywhere else, so I take vitamin D. Um, I've got a B complex that I take just to support my training. Um the volume that I'm training, everything. I just find that supplementing with extra B's to help with that energy conversion um, is important. and Something that helps, and uh, magnesium and zinc before bed. Um, you know, today I've got a little tickle in my throat, so I'm taking some vitamin C. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, it's not earth shattering stuff, um, but those are really the only supplements that I that I hang my hat on. And you know, I, I'll drink a coffee every morning, a little little caffeine, and then when I actually get into competition, I will take like. A caffeine pill before my events just to help me get kind of fired up for the day. And that's really all I do for supplements. And it's really funny because that's just kind of the way it's evolved over time. Like I said, I've tried a bunch of other things in the past and it's just supplements are the, the 1%, you know, they're, they're very, very little. There's, you cannot substitute proper training, sleep, recovery, mobility. You just, you, you can't, you have to put in the work. Um, and I think you know, you can tell that to young athletes, but until they get to a point where they actually understand the value of it, you know, they'll constantly be trying to, to find that shortcut. And, and there's just, you know, there's really no shortcuts unless you're taking supplements that are not legal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go for sure. And, Definitely the, the sort of big three that you mentioned there. You know, supplemental protein, whey protein, creatine, caffeine. I mean, those are really kind of the the keystone ones. And I think sometimes people forget in terms of creatine, just so good for recovery overall. That oh, I imagine for incredible. for strongman, just a massive. Uh, and of course, I imagine on game day as well. Like caffeine in terms of work capacity, that's uh, that must be pretty invaluable when you're having to lift heavy things over and over and over again, right?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing for, and and at the Arnold in the past, it's usually been, um, like day one is four events and then you have to qualify for day two, which is two events this year. They've actually split it up into three days. So the demands of this competition, I've actually never done a competition that's spread out two events over three days. Um, so it's, the demands are actually not quite as high for this one in terms of daily nutrition, like during the events, much, much simpler. Just knowing you only have two events um, for example, and especially like, for example, on day one, I mean, we have circus dumbbell press. I mean, it's a full body cause you have to clean and press each rep, but it's a pressing event. And then farmers walk deadlift is the next event. So there there's different demands. Um, and same thing on day two. I mean, there's a, a carry, so it's just a moving event. That's really, I would, I would say not all that taxing at all. And then stone over bars. So there, there are different demands and splitting it up, those events up over different days really lessens the, the actual, stress that it puts on nutrition throughout the day because you're, you know, when you have a big event, your gut's going to be a little nervous and uneasy and anxious already. And you mix that in with, you know, how do you keep food down and how do you get enough of it in? And it's, it's a, it's a tricky puzzle to put together. And again, it's one of those things that over time you figure out how to do it best. Um, but it's, I'm actually really looking forward to it this year because it's just two, two and two. And I feel like that's just another advantage to being able to like thrive. So
0: and for you during that competition period, is there anything that changes on the nutrition front in terms of um, you know, macros, carbohydrate intake, simple carbs during exercise, or is it pretty much you've got yourself dialed in and you're you're kind of maintaining your what you're used to doing uh, in the build up to to the competition?
1: Yeah, I mean during competition, like there's specific foods that I eat that I know sit well with my digestion. I rely a lot on uh, liquid nutrition on those days as well. Um, just it's easier for digestion. It's fast absorbing. It's just a better overall approach than trying to eat a lot of complex food that takes longer digestion. You don't want a huge bolus of food sitting in your stomach when you're trying to carry a 300 pound stone. So it's, uh, (laughs) so yeah, again, it's something you figure out over time. Um, and the tricky part is again, it's the week before the event. Um, because if you're overweight and you need to do a little cut then that's when the week before the event becomes a little tricky because then you have to watch, you know, your water intake, your sodium intake, your carb intake to make sure that, you know, you make sure that when you weigh in the day before the event, you're going to be, you know, under 80 kilos and not over. Because right now I'm probably sitting at 81 kilos, which is, I mean, just over. And so if I just – I'm just going to have to pay attention to my water and sodium intake for the day or two before the event, and I'll drop down super easy under. But uh, some guys are going to be cutting from, you know, probably – 87 88 kilos and they're gonna have to do some massive uh, massive adjustments to to get down so
0: yeah that's a big hit when you have to get that much of a caloric uh, restriction going on the nervous system takes a big hit all of a sudden your lifts feel kind of different the body feels oh, yeah. different so it's a big advantage to for yourself i imagine it'd only be you be pretty close to that level um, yeah i'm gonna do I, a big cut right
1: yeah i've had to do big cuts in the past and my body my body responds pretty pretty well to it i mean i've never taken it to the point where I've had to, you know, sit in a sauna or take diuretics or do anything super duper extreme. I mean, some guys really push it. <laughs> um, space, and have to do... space
0: suit on and the bike and oh, sauna. Yeah. Like,
1: some guys r- really damage themselves. Um, but thankfully, I I haven't had to do that. You know, I, I think the most I cut once was like 13 pounds or something like that, and I did that all just with like water, sodium, and carb intake um just kind of manipulating that the week before and got down no problem and recovered from it easy peasy didn't really affect my lifts but it's really nice to be able to go in and you know know i can just stick to my diet and just eat normal and live a normal life just kind of until i get their way in and just keep doing my thing
0: that's awesome and if we uh dovetail this a little bit into recovery and of course sleep anytime you're increasing training volume that can hamper sleep you obviously have to travel for this competition as well, so it's a new bed or a different environment, which can hinder sleep quality as well. You know, do, do you have any? Um, do you get affected at all in the lead-up to competitions in terms of your sleep quality, or do you have any uh, tips or tactics that you use when you're traveling to help keep yourself sleeping well on the road?
1: You know, I'm, I think I'm pretty, pretty fortunate in that I, I've never really had any issues with sleeping, whether training related or otherwise, it's just sleep's always something that, uh, I've always been pretty good at, so to speak. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who my, my life kind of revolves around my sleep schedule. Um, it's very, very rare. You'll, you'll probably hate me cause you have young kids, but I mean, it's very rare that I get less than eight hours. Like it's just not something that I allow with my training schedule. I know if I need to recover, I, I need my eight, nine hours. Like it's just no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, so I kind of base everything around that. And the trainings, yeah, it, it can be weird when you get into a bed that's not great or a pillow that's not awesome. So sometimes when I travel, like I'll take my own pillow just to make sure I have that and uh, just always make sure that the, the room temperature is set cool enough. And, you know, there's those little things that, you know, you can do to, to help with that. And I always take, like I said, my magnesium helps me sleep before bed and I have my my routine. So I think this is where a lot of people. Have issues with sleep is when they don't actually have a routine that they do before bed. Um, I'm, I'm not talking like just for the competition. I'm talking like every single night of your life. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> um, that wind down, yeah, sleep it's, hygiene. It's sure. so important to have sleep hygiene uh, for anybody. Uh, you know, I, I coach a lot of non-athletes um, and and non-athletes, just regular folk who who have trouble sleeping. And it's you know they're just wired until they try and go to sleep. And it's like you know your your body takes time to kind of you know, slow down, you know, like you got to dim the lights, you've got to do something that lulls your body into a sense of relaxation. Like I do some like soft tissue and breath work and rolling around on a lacrosse ball and stuff before bed. And my, that's my body knows when the, the lights are down and when I'm doing that. And I've had my little magnesium and I've done these things like it knows that it's time to sleep. So I can take that little routine with me and you know, it takes 15, 20 minutes minimum um, just do it and then my body feels pretty good. So
0: you're saying I shouldn't be watching uh, CNN, Donald Trump news and with my iPad and in, in, in bed before, uh, before settling in. <laughs> no,
1: no, <laughs> no, devices nothing, nothing, in the nothing
0: that agitates. No, yeah, exactly. no, no
1: devices in the bedroom. That's, that's key. And, and, but that is actually another big key for me and like just kind of anywhere, like no, no electronics or blue lights or anything at all in the bedroom. Like no alarm clock, no plugged in electronics, like nothing, nothing like that at all. Nothing. that's going to make a hum, nothing that's going to put energy in the bedroom that could disturb your sleep in any way. And that's something that a lot of people have trouble with. Cause a lot of people put TVs in their bedroom or, you know, they charge their, their iPad right next to their bed and there's like a little green light on it or something like it's those little things like
0: clients do their work on their laptop in bed before bed for hours and hours i know uh, for
1: me it's it's important to have a division and say like this is the room i do work in this is the room i sleep in this is like it's to me it's it's just a mental block where it's like i need to know like this is where stuff gets done and that's where stuff relaxes like it's it's really important for me to kind of have that division um and and it's the same thing like when i when i travel like it's very rare that I stay in hotels like I do Airbnbs um as much as I can especially when I'm traveling for a competition because if I'm stuck in a damn hotel I can't cook my own food you know and to me that's a massive thing like we see all these athletes going to the Arnold there's the um competition like you know the Red Roof Inn has this deal for all the athletes and like all the strongman athletes are staying in this hotel and just going to the restaurants eat their food and all this and I can't even wrap my head around at a, how at a high level competition you've got all these athletes who are just eating restaurants and doing all this yeah, and having a whole bunch no of
0: control. new food whole bunch yeah. of uh, new environment I and mean, honestly it's th- it's blows tough.
1: my mind so you know i'm always getting an airbnb so i can cook and i can have i can set up my bedroom the way i need to and it just gives me a little more space and that allows me to you know just feel more in control of my outcomes
0: well uh, it's i mean it's obviously uh, so important sleep is such a big pillar of recovery i had uh, dr Amy bender on last year and she's just as you're mentioning there, that idea of a, a wind-down routine about an hour before bed, so key. And, you know, I even saw this uh, spring training in baseball now. You see these guys are getting to spring training later in the morning because they want to give the guys more sleep. So it's mm-hmm. amazing how it's become uh, definitely something more focused on. And the last piece there that you you, you mentioned, we've talked the technical, tactical, we talked the physical. Let's talk the uh, psychological now. And, like, in terms of the competition um you know, where do you have to get your head at when, when the competition starts? Is it one of these things where you want to be as amped up as possible? Can you be too amped up? Do you have to balance yourself out? Um, how, how does that look for you when it's competition day?
1: Oh, yeah. And that's the, the as we, we call it, the optimal level of arousal. You know, it's, um, so, like, come game day, it's super important to be in the right, right frame of mind um you know this is going to be like i said the, the fifth time that i've qualified for the world championships the fourth time that i'm actually gonna c- competing um had the knee injury the one year but it's it's so great that i've had the experience in the past of these competitions you know i finished uh tied for fourth once i finished in fifth um so i I've, I've had some good results Um, but there's been, there, the things that have actually held me back in both of those events, it was mental, it wasn't physical. It was, it was absolutely psychological and how I approach things. Um, if, if I kind of go back to last year's Arnold, um, I tied for first in the first event. So I was in first place going into the second event, which was the yoke carry, which is my, like my event as far as I'm concerned. Like I love yoke. I'm, I'm fast. I'm good at it. Like it's something I love doing. Um, and quite frankly, I just, I wasn't grounded before the event. I was kind of taking for granted that I was going to do well. And I was thinking ahead, I was thinking ahead to the next events that I was more nervous about and just wasn't there in the moment. And I dropped the Oak. It's just one of those things that I just, I didn't have my tension. I tried to go too fast. It was, uh, we were running on polished concrete floors and I just kind of got going too fast and made a little slip and cost me dearly. And that's the reason that I didn't advance to the finals. Um, so it's just, that experience is, is just so important. I know that at this year's Arnold, there's, there's quite a few uh, athletes who won't be there in terms of the higher level guys. So last year, the guys who finished first, second, third, and fourth ahead of me, um, none of them will be here this year. So there's some high level athletes who won't be there. I'm gonna be one of the most experienced athletes. I've been there lots of times, and I know this is a huge advantage for me going into it this year. Um, and I know that I have to stay grounded. I know my training's gone extremely well. Um, I know the events. I know what I'm capable of, and now it's just a matter of remembering. Got to stay grounded. You have to stay focused on each event and
0: be present fo- and sounds like be it.
1: present. And that's just it. Because if you're thinking about your outcome, you're dead in the water. Because then you're not focused on what you're actually doing. Um, and that's just the key that I have to keep reminding myself of and keep doing that. And I know there's going to be guys there who it's their first Arnold and they're going to be so jacked up and they're going to be going crazy. And, and, and that leads to mistakes, you know, I've been there. So it's, uh, it's something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. I've made some mistakes in the past and it's, it's psychological stuff and really excited to make amends for it this year.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that sounds, sounds fantastic, man. Sounds like you're in a great, um, shape, great frame of mind and, you know, you know, you mentioned sort of being in great shape, being in great frame of mind. This idea of obviously you're a coach and you work with a ton of uh, athletes as well as general public. And you know, we've had conversations about this before as well. You know, the use of social media can be so kind of motivating and inspiring, but then you know, sometimes it can just be a little bit like you know, everyone's crushing it every single day on social media. <laughs> you know, we never see the other side. Uh, we never see the the tougher days, the days where people struggle, the days um, where it's tough to get out of bed to to do the trainings. So, can you comment a little bit on your experiences there and, and, and what's the, what, what your take is on that
1: yeah uh, social media is an interesting thing <laughs> um, you know it's a big it's a big look what I can do kind of thing right it's uh, it, it's tough because again I have a lot of clients who are athletes I have a lot of clients who are just general pop and people are constantly watching Instagram videos and being, oh like look at XYZ and all like he's taking this supplement and oh he's doing this this program by so-and-so and and like, they're how old, look at how jacked they are, look how much weight they're losing, look how strong they're getting, all these kind of things. And it's like, yes, I I see, I see that post. I understand that that person, look at them, they're having awesome success. People need to take a step back from social media and understand that they never have the full picture. Whatever you're seeing on somebody's social media account is, I mean, what percentage of their daily life? You know, like it's a one minute video at most, you know, so that is a tiny snapshot of what's going on and success doesn't come from doing one thing, you know, like there's a lot of people on social media who are trying to sell you something or even if it's just an idea, you know, it's, even if it's just selling you a concept um, or an attitude about how easy something should be. And it's something that it's it really holds a lot of people back because they're focused on that outcome. You know, they see somebody else do it and they're focused on that outcome and they're not worried about the process. And and when that when you get into that state of mind and you're constantly just trying to push and measure up to other people and do that, it's you're you're dead in the water from the get go. Um, so social media is a you know, it's a dangerous spot and it, it kind of segues back into what i what i said earlier and how like i've had the most success in terms of my strength and performance over the past 2 months by taking more rest <laughs> you know and it's something that i've learned is that at 34 doing <laughs> just competing as a like a natural athlete not taking any extra stuff i have to take extra rest days and i know damn well that if there is somebody in there mid to late thirties who are crushing it every day and just going hard and just pushing it. I mean, I know how they're getting it done, you know, and, and people don't have that context and it takes a lot of experience and understanding to like see how your life and variables and everything might be different from somebody on Instagram, especially if they're, you know, an athlete or a personal trainer or somebody whose life literally revolves around working out, recovering, eating, doing all those things. If you're somebody who works a desk job or, you know, has a family or does all these things, like you can't compare yourself to that person because your lifestyle is 100% different. So social media is an interesting place. It's a good spot to kind of like, you know, you can see some cool stuff and you can get some motivation, but getting into the game of like comparing when you have less than 1% of the information, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, dangerous a, it's game a slippery, it's a slippery place to be. Right.
0: Absolutely. And you know, course you work with general population as well and you what kind of if we we just circle back to even the strongman what kind of transfer do some of the movements have in terms of training you know the classic clients trying to lose some weight shed some belly fat are there certain movements that you use with your clients that can have some good
1: transfer oh yeah of course i mean it's strongman in general and so even even we just say like general weight training so there's weight training is awesome (laughs) like it's good to lift weights. Uh, The research is very strong on that. I'll just put it out there though, that a lot of, a lot of people lift weights, you know, incorrectly. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of bad information out there. And when you do something, you know, weightlifting is not innately dangerous, you know, but if you are, if your movement is not correct, if you're not qualified for certain movements and yet you've got a trainer or you're watching Instagram videos and you're just doing things that you know, like I said, if you sit at a desk all day and your hips are, you know, really locked into flexion and you're trying to do. Olympic lifts from the floor. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's, it's just, you're just asking for an injury. So again, context is super important here, but regarding strongman, that just kind of takes it an extra, uh, extra distance. Like they're awkward implements. So the odds that you might hurt yourself trying strongman stuff are definitely uh, a little bit higher. Now in terms of general pop, um, absolutely. I use like farmer's walk for example fantastic fantastic movement you know just getting a client to you know really learn how to they create tension within their body to pick up the farmer's handles and then like focus on their breathing and staying tight while moving with a, an object um whether that be farmer's walk or for example a small sandbag you know it's just these little things that can carry over to you know day-to-day life you know yeah, people have to transfer, pick things right? up yeah. right like people have to pick things up it's like You carry groceries, farmer's walk's awesome for that. You know, you have to pick up a kid, you know, you want to pick up your, your son or your kid, like honestly picking up a sandbag or even like a little stone or something like that. Like there is absolute transfer in understanding how to pick up these awkward objects and, and move them around. So that's why I think strongman training is actually, you know, you can call it functional training, call it whatever, you know, you feel like calling it, but there is a lot of transfer into daily life because i mean when are you picking up a barbell in in regular life <laughs> you know
0: like it's At the it's gym not a,
1: it's, it's, exactly, it's not a thing that you do in in day to day life but if you want to you know lose fat or you know just get, you know, gain some muscle. Like farmers walks great. Like sled pushes and pulls are awesome. Sandbag pickups, extensions and carries like those things have real life carryover. And you know, you can do every minute on the minute, you know, you can time your sets, you can try and move fast with things so you can get that conditioning aspect into it. And that has awesome carryover for all sorts of goals.
0: Yeah, that's great, and it's amazing how so many some of the best biomarkers for longevity are things like VO two max and lean muscle mass and grip strength, and oh, none, of, n- none exactly. of the things your doctor measures. You know, it's all the stuff that your trainer would know more than your doctor. So that's a that's a really uh, great insight there. And Dana, I want to respect your time here, buddy. So last uh, last question for you, kind of a two part question, because we'll go with you know if you could give that sort of twenty percent Big Rocks tip that's going to get folks eighty percent away there on two levels. First, we'll go with someone who's training for strongman. What's a tip that you would give them to help build them up if they're just maybe getting started and want to compete? And then for the general, you know, in your background, obviously, as a coach and a trainer, nutritionist, uh, for the general population, what's that one tip for them to stay fit and healthy?
1: Okay, well, for for the young aspiring strongman athlete, I mean, <laughs> the main thing is, first of all, stay within yourself. Like, understand that things take time To like, you know, if you want to be Thor, if you want to be one of these big guys, I mean, even getting big, getting strong, all these things, they take time, you can't force that issue. And so it's focus on the core things. So focus on just being able to, you know, be like, focus on tension, your breathing, your bracing and lifting stuff off the ground. Like deadlifts are so super important and honing your craft in deadlifts, not just, not just ripping the bar off the ground and then like dropping it and throwing it down, but actually figuring out how to generate the maximum amount of tension with your own body is, I mean, I, I can't even stress how important this is. A lot of people jump into Strongman without the requisite you know, precursor to even weightlifting. they just like, oh, Strongman looks cool. I'm going to do it. You have to know how to breathe and brace and develop tension within your own body and keep that neutral spine before you can really ramp up. So don't forget, hammer the basics, hammer the basics, hammer the basics. And then the advanced movements will be easy, but a lot of people kind of skip that first little step and that's where we kind of get into trouble long-term. So just keep focused on the basics of just, remember, the implements are the implements. Your body is what is moving things around. You know, your body is just fusing the ground to an implement. So if you are, you know, loose or weak in an area, you're going to leak energy there. You're going to be weak. So you have to figure out how to be as tense as possible from your feet up and through your core into your hands and stay as tight as possible, and that's how you're going to be strong over time and get stronger throughout the course of your life and and stay safe. That's how you protect your spine too. Um, so it's kind of those basics that I would say for the strongman athlete. Um, awesome, awesome for, tip. Yeah. Now for 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 general pop, just in terms of like health.
0: <laughs> yeah, losing um, weight, maintaining health.
1: Yeah, health, losing weight. The, the best advice I can give, it, and this is, I mean, it sounds obvious, but it's it's make it a priority. Like, move daily and make it a priority. Like, this is where a lot of people kind of get kind of get caught up. In the, you know, they, they seek out a personal trainer. They seek out a uh, nutrition coach or a naturopath or whatever. And they think because, okay, I'm addressing this. I'm, I'm seeking out someone. I'm going to give them some of my money. They're going to help me. That that is going to get the job done. But the reality is, is that, you know, we have to prioritize our jobs. You know, that's critical. You know, we have to prioritize our, you know, our kids and our, our loved ones and all those kind of things. These are priorities that life has to have. But if you're not prioritizing your health, like throughout everything that you do, it's going to be really hard for you to kind of <laughs> maintain that over time. So it's really, it's it's just the mindset. And I always coach my clients on this psychological aspect of things not just when it comes to food, but when it comes to every decision in life is make a conscious choice. Like we all have habits and we just do things automatically. It's make a conscious choice. Like stop before you do things before you put food in your mouth, stop and say, Hey, does this decision serve me? Like why, why am I making this choice? You know, is it time to eat? Am I hungry? Is this the right food? Or is it just, Oh, it's here. It's convenient. I I want it. You know, it's make a conscious choice because so many people are just making, you know, automatic choices and just because of what's you know easy or what's there. If you're going through life based on those choices that you're not actually making, I mean your health is gonna follow suit. You know, you have to make it a priority. You have to take charge. You have to be present. <laughs> you know, mindfulness is kind of the big catch term right now and you can call it what you want. But I say just, make, just like make make an actual conscious choice. Say does this serve me? You know, make time for movement, make time for good food, make time for you know, telling someone you love them and and feeling like you're part of a community and getting loved, like all these things, like health is, health isn't just food and exercise. Like it is an all encompassing thing. And you just have to make conscious choices to be, you know, getting that whole holistic thing. So it's being present and making that conscious choice as opposed to just going and doing whatever's, you know, whatever's presented to you. So if you make your decisions a priority. Then like a lot of stuff just kind of takes care of itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great tip, and I like that suggestion of uh, you know when clients have excuses of just saying no, well you're prioritizing this over that. You know when you change the linguistics like that, it's amazing how it uh, how it reshapes their their priorities. It gets them on point. So that's a great uh, great tip there, Damon. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, best of luck at the upcoming World Strongman Championships. I know you're gonna knock it out of the park. Where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all of your great work?
1: Uh, I can be found online at Canada's Um, you can find me, uh, on Twitter at Canada's coach. Uh, and, uh, again, like you said, like I'm, uh, one of the instructors with you at, uh, DTS, uh, here in uh, Toronto, they provide a lot of great content for uh, aspiring personal trainers and just people looking to get healthy. So, um, like I said, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram or at CanadasNutritionCoach.com.
0: Awesome, man. we'll definitely include all those links with the podcast summary at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Dane, thanks again, man, for coming on. Uh, if you guys listening in have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, we'd love to hear from you as well on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubbs. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever your favorite platform is, and leave us a quick review. Really, really helps the show out and helps us continue to grow. So much appreciated. All right, thanks again, and see everyone next week.